0: The Origin of the Gnawing Beaver A great hunter, always on the alert for new territories and a future of success and wealth, lived by all the rules of the society of his village, and he remained scrupulous of following those rules. He remained single for as long as it took him to become successful, observed all cleanliness fasts, and did not touch women. When he was finally ready to take a wife, he found a woman who was just as scrupulous at following the rules as he, and he moved her and himself away into a territory out in the wilderness. He would spend all day hunting, and she would be left alone to wait for him, and at night they'd get together and play. This went on for a while. Pretty soon he said to her, I'm going to go away for a couple of days this time, on my hunt, now that I know that you're fine by yourself when I'm gone all day. And so he did. And over time, this stretched into longer and longer times away from home. In the meantime, the woman found herself drawn to a lake and started swimming. But the longer her husband was away and the more time she'd found on her own, The smaller that water hole seemed to get to her, and so she began building dams and redirecting the water to create larger pools and channels to swim in. Her husband would come home only once in a while now, and he was sure that she was fine without him for long periods of time, and so he'd only stay for a night with her and then go away again to hunt. By this time, the woman had built a little lodge out on the water and she spent so many nights out in it that when her husband came home temporarily, she began to feel uncomfortable sleeping in the house with him. She had finally, over time, adopted the Ways of the Wild and it was now in her blood. The man went off for one last hunting trek, leaving his wife for months this time. She was pregnant by now and had been living in her lodge where she was comfortable in the middle of the water. She had built an underground entrance to safeguard her little abode at night, and by the time her husband came back, he could no longer find her, for she had turned into a beaver, and had three small children living with her in the water channel. They spent their days building more and more dams, and building up the lodge into a great log castle on the water. The man didn't want to return to his homeland without her, as he feared her family would find out she was missing and punish him for it. So he stayed, sadly searching for his lost wife for a very long time. She finally heard his crying one day and came up out of the water, covered in fur, and spoke to him. Now you see me. I'm living here and with your three children. Now go and leave us. And use the beaver as your family crest to honor our memory. And so the man did. He returned to his homeland, told the people what had happened, and he used the crest of the beaver to forever honor his lost family in the wild. This is Natural and Wild with Christine Grayson. I'm a storyteller, an Appalachian artist, and a nature muse. Today I'm talking a little bit about nature's best architects and natural building. Welcome to the show. I've always been fascinated by natural building, cob houses, sticks and stones and lime, and also the architecture in the natural world, the work done by insects and animals. It's pretty interesting stuff, and we take a lot of ideas from out there in the wild. Look at termites, for example. Cathedral termites, they build these giant towering homes that are up to 17 feet or five meters tall. Human architects and engineers can copy the way these mounds are built to improve energy efficiency in our human made buildings and they do. Mick Pierce is an architect in Zimbabwe and he designed a building based around the way that the cathedral termites made their mounds if you slice open one of these termite towers you'll see it's not just a big old pile of dirt the part above the ground has holes throughout its its walls so that it's porous and that wall leads down to this labyrinth of tunnels and those lead down even further to a bunch of chimneys and this is all designed to pull in air from the outside the queen is always way down below and she has to breathe so the cathedral termites will design their home to pull in air, and in addition to pull in oxygen, it's designed to warm up as the sun hits parts of it and cool down when it gets too hot outside in the evenings. And it's always circulating that airflow and flushing out carbon dioxide. Pretty amazing stuff. Rufus Cornero is a bird from South America. Just a plain old Jane looking mid-sized reddish brown bird. Builds nests that look like a big dirt pizza oven. They make these bowl shaped houses out of mud and dung and it looks like a cob house or a pizza oven. And they build these so that the entrance, the little hole kind of at the top is tilted and situated so that it faces away from the winds and so it's protected from the weather. The scientific name for this bird is Furnarius rufus, the Latin part coming from the word furnace, of course, which means oven. Now this gets interesting. As you know, birds have to go find food and stay and incubate their babies. So there's this trade-off, and sometimes mama Bird has to leave her babies for a while, and they're in danger of, of freezing but things are more convenient for the Rufus or narrow because their house heats up thus the nickname that was given to them by the locals oven birds these little ovens serve as incubators as the sun comes out and heats up the earth nest so it's like leaving the heat on high for the kids while mama runs down to the corner store these nests are so well built that when they're abandoned other birds will come and quickly take over them and live there. Of course I always think of cob houses and outdoor ovens when I think of these birds just because that's what their little abode looks like. I learned about cob and earth house building a long time ago when I was much younger and lived in Asheville, North Carolina. I was amazed by the fact that you could build a whole house out of dirt And it looked like something from childhood, the the actual act of building this house, playing in the mud and smearing it all over and, and making big mud cakes and packing them together. Of course, the logistics are a little bit more complicated than that. But the idea was fascinating to me. And those houses are really well built and energy efficient if you build one in North Carolina however you really need to build it on a stone foundation though because this is a really wet area they make this sealant also that you can paint over earth walls that seals and protects them and even comes in different colors like paint for anybody out there who hasn't really heard of cob building these structures are really well made and tough and impermeable to the weather now we can't forget about the bees when we're thinking about the best architects in the natural world these guys are so intelligent with their designs honeybees let's look at their honeycomb mathematicians have concluded about the honeycomb structure a hexagon is the most appropriate geometric form for the maximum use of any given area and so we can guess that the honeybee forms its little units of a honeycomb in a hexagon shape so that it becomes more efficient uses of space these little guys make way more honey than they can use and they have to store it somewhere plus they'll use these little hexagon units as a nursery room for raising baby bees they weave these hexagons together so perfectly that you can't even detect that they're connected some of the natural beehives found out in the wild are so complex and beautifully structured it's unbelievable the honeycombs are not always inside something like a log or a box sometimes you'll find one hanging in a tree somewhere and it looks like this intricate geometric pattern with layered spirals and curves sugar bag bees or bush bees in Australia construct their honeycombs in a skyscraper swirl like shape it's really amazing it looks like if you were to push down the lever to dispense soft serve ice cream from one of those machines and it came out as a honeycomb a swirly stacked tower of honeycomb and they do this to confuse their predators beetles will end up getting lost in the maze, weighed down and suffocated by a sea of wax and mud and vegetable resin. There's an architectural historian, one Antonio Ramirez, who believes architects like Antoni Gaudi got a lot of inspiration for their designs based on honeybees. Gaudi lived in the early 1900s, and he believes that his building, if I can say this correctly, correctly. The the Cooperativa Mataranessa factory, not sure how to say that, was directly inspired by bees. There were Gaudi inspired graphics that accompanied the building project that he found. There was this flag with a bee on it and a coat of arms representing workers as bees. Symbols of, of industriousness and, and cooperation. Gaudi was an eccentric man, and his designs were always really interesting. He worked all his life, and he never married, dedicating himself to his architecture and design. I think that he did fall in love one time with one woman at some point, but she didn't reciprocate those feelings, and, and, you know, that was that. (laughs) But Ramirez totally believes that that cooperative factory was designed to be a human beehive. I found one old picture of it. It doesn't really look hexagonal or hive-like, but it looks like a giant stacked skyscraper, you know, with little units inside. It's it's interesting, and that was a long time ago. But moving on, I can get sidetracked easily with architecture, because I've always been fond of it. What about beavers? Beavers are fantastic little construction workers they can do some real damage too, depending on, you know, a human's perspective of damage and what that human is trying to build and maintain in the human world. But it can also go the other way around. And I'm sure a lot of beavers are not too keen on the way we overpopulate and build on their territory either. It's a constant war over territory, humans and animals. And if you've ever come across a city of beavers it looks like a big mess on top of the water at first glance lots of beaver made water channels moving in different directions but if you study what the beaver is actually doing it's pretty amazing first of all their teeth are orange because they're fortified with iron which makes them way stronger than typical teeth and as they build their log and twig dams they secure them with stones at the base and they'll pull up mud from the bottom of the water source to use as mortar, real mortar, and tighten everything together. Their houses are built into levels. There's food storage underneath the chamber that they sleep in. It's believed that they build these dams like they do and put their house chambers in the middle of them to keep their predators away. Kind of like a moat around a castle that enemies can't cross very easily. Now their houses usually referred to as lodges, can be as big as 10 meters across. That's 32 feet. And they shelter the entire clan of beavers. It's basically a very rustic log cabin. The entrance is underwater and it usually leads out through the little water channel that acts like a tunnel. A beaver's biggest enemy is a wolf And so when the wolves are hunting nearby, the beaver can just duck down into the water channel and swim away and up and underneath the lodge, reaching the safety of its home. During the months of better weather, they spend their time storing food in the chamber below their lodges. So in the wintertime, when things get tougher, beaver families can all be hibernating and staying warm together in their log cabins. And when they get hungry, they can just run downstairs to grab a stack of twigs to bring up and eat. It's a lot more convenient than trying to go out in the snow and gather more twigs. So in a nutshell, we're not all so different when it comes to building and keeping conveniences around humans, animals, and insects. Some of us are a little more design savvy with it. Others just grin and bear their conditions, humans and animals alike. It all depends on how tough you are and whether or not you've got babies to raise and feed and communities to keep protected and supported. As in the cooperative colonies of of bees and a lot of people I met while living in uh, smaller subcultures in my younger days. They lived in co-op situations. There are solitary creatures and humans there are very complex designers out there in the wild and in society and a lot of people mimic animal and insect designs it's all pretty neat stuff when you think about it so this spring if anybody's out there thinking of new building projects take a second and think about the way different animals do these things out in the wild and take some of their ideas some of the structures that they make and maybe use them for inspiration or is a new way of building a shed or a terraced gardening area or something some of the best ideas come from the intelligence of the wild this has been natural and wild with me christine grayson i'd like to thank my biggest donors of this show as it's a listener supported podcast bruce presson yvonne raglan robin umber chris nolan Sheila McGregor, William Bishop, and Arnold Bloom. I'd like to thank all of those who hit up the tip jar this week via the PayPal link at the bottom of my website, christinegrayson.com. And you can find the Patreon link there, too. Take care, stay productive, safe, keep smiling, and I'll see you next week.